as the 150 people say good morning. <laughs> Welcome to CTK. Um, yeah, it's weird. I got to do announcements now, too. I didn't even know. What's there to announce? Nothing, really. What are we doing this week? Tonight, we got prayer. We're still doing prayer. Prayer at 7 o'clock uh, here at the church. And that's it. We're taking a bit of a slowdown for August. Tuesday morning, men's, uh, men's prayer is still on. So Tuesday morning here at 7 a.m. Uh, is still on. So Sunday night prayer, we're keeping the prayer going. Sunday night prayer, Tuesday morning prayer. Is there Monday morning women's prayer? There is on Zoom still. So if, you need, if you're a woman and you want to pray at Monday morning at 7 now, we're at 7. I think we're at 7, yes. Well, not me. I won't be there. Some of you will be there at 7 on Zoom. So if you want to pray, woman, 7 a.m. Monday, uh, how do you even get that link to the Zoom? No idea. It's on the, it's on the email. It's on the CT. Boy, I am out of it, eh? Shows you how much I read emails and look at our website. Go to the email. Check your emails. If you're not on the emails, fill out a response card, throw it in the tithe jar, and we'll get you on the email. And you can get that link. So Sunday night prayer at 7, tonight, Monday morning at 7. Tuesday morning at seven, three sevens. Ooh, great number, eh? Cool, turn with me to the letter of James. The letter of James. We're a bit all over here the past few weeks as Matt's on vacation, uh, staycation as he's hanging around at home. But uh, this week and next week, we'll be in the letter of James. So James, uh, right after the book of Hebrews in your New Testament, if it's a little bit tricky to find, but it's right after Hebrews... Uh, right before First Peter. So if you hit the Peters or the first, second, third Johns, you've gone too far. If you've hit Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've still got a little bit to go. So turn with me to James, James chapter 1. Uh, and let's, if you guys remember, it's been a couple months since we were in James. So let me just give you a brief uh, reminder of what's been going on. Um, if you remember James, uh, he's in leadership in the Church of Jerusalem. Uh, during this time, and he's writing this letter. Primarily, the letter of James is written to Jewish Christians. And so during this time in the church in Jerusalem, there was just a lot of just conflict going on. I don't know how else to say it. It was, it was just a weird time for Christianity because Christianity was still in its, very much in its infancy as we know it today. Um, you know, the idea of grace was very foreign to the Jewish people. They've been living under the law their, their whole life for the past thousands of years. You know, the idea of Gentiles being brought into the family was just confusing. It just didn't really make sense. Uh, you know, Christianity is exploding at a massive rate. There's, there's people doing things that they shouldn't be doing, and there's people not doing things that they should be doing. And then you've got a third group of people just standing around judging everyone for doing things or for not doing things. And it's just like a very confusing time in the church in this time. And there's just a huge culture change going on. All of a sudden, Gentiles are allowed to pray and, and worship alongside the Jewish people, and they're, they're considered equals under, under Jesus. And you just have, you know, there's, there's people going out eating pork, and they're like, whoa, you can't eat pork. That's not okay. And it's just... Super confusing time, if you get understand that. And so what's the one thing that humans are super good at? Conflict. <laughs> Conflict and disagreement. 
And conflict arises in the church in this day and, and amongst the Jewish people and the Gentiles and just all these people under Christ. Just conflict comes up and confusion and disagreement. And so James sees a need to address it here in the book of James. But he sees something kind of interesting. Uh, he sees all these issues going on, you know, conflict, confusion, strife, boasting, foolishness, all these things going on. They're all just symptoms of the greater issue at hand here, which is a lack of spiritual maturity. And James realizes that these people need a jumpstart in their Jesus journey. They're spiritually immature. They're just immature. They're like infants. They've, they've come to accept Christ as their Savior, but they've just stopped right there. They've stopped growing in their relationship with Jesus. They're stuck at the infancy stage. And so specifically throughout this letter, as we go along, James identifies some things that he needs to address to his readers. And so last time, if you remember, we, we talked about the testing of your faith. And so do you remember the four key words that were mentioned? Count. I hear you in TV land. I can hear you all the way from here. Count, know, let, and ask. You've got to count it all as joy when you experience testing. You've got to know that the testing produces steadfastness. You have to let the steadfastness have its full effect on you so that you will, will be perfect and complete. And then finally, you need to ask God for wisdom who gives to all without reproach. See, James wants us to see uh, in James 1 that the spiritually mature Christian is one who experiences trial and counts it as joy. The spiritually mature Christian experiences trials and he knows it produces steadfastness. The spiritually mature Christian has trials and allows the steadfastness that's been produced to have its full effects so that they might be perfect and complete. And the spiritually mature Christian asks God for wisdom. And so as we go on, uh, we're going to go into verse 12. We're going to start in verse 12 and go to the end of chapter 1 this morning. James continues on with these ideas of trials and temptations. And how specifically a mature Christian avoids turning the trials into temptations. So as we get into James here, let's open up in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we believe that the word of God is uh, living and active, Lord. We believe it is the one uh, true, true test that we based our life on, Lord. We uh, want to learn from you this morning, Lord. So just uh, teach us what you have in the letter of James this morning, Lord, and just bless this time. Amen. Amen. So let's read. We're going to read uh, 12, to six, 12 to 18 first thing this morning here. It should be up on the screen. I hope you all have your Bibles with you. It's a blessing and a curse having things up on the screen nowadays because, well, I hope you're still bringing your Bibles. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For he, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You see, God allows trials into our life to produce steadfastness, which leads to being perfect and complete. But if you aren't careful, those testings that are on the outside 
uh, can very quickly turn to temptations on the inside. Often opportunities that are there to prove God can quickly turn into transgressing temptations. And so James gives us three things here, three things in those verses we just read to consider. Three things to consider as we experience trials to help us avoid turning them into temptations. The first we're going to look at consideration is to consider what is to come. The second thing we're going to look at is to consider God's goodness. And the third thing we're going to look at is to consider who you are. So let's look at the first one. When undergoing trials, how does the mature Christian avoid turning the trial into a temptation? They consider what is to come. So read with me. We're going to read again uh, verse 12 to 15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God promised to those who love him. You see, when, when you remain steadfast under trials, there's a blessing to come. The crown of life. When you say no to temptation, you're saying yes to God. And with that comes the crown of life with which you will receive at the end of the days. So you consider what is to come. Consider, when you resist temptation, you're looking forward to a day when there's no more pain, when you, can, when you say no to temptation, you're considering that there's a day coming, there's no more temptations, there's a day when you've been tested and approved. Consider that there's a day coming when the Lord welcomes you in saying, well done, good and faithful servant. When you say no to temptations and you say yes to God, you have a vision of the new Jerusalem. A vision of the new Jerusalem coming where there's the river of life that flows through the middle and you're, you're seeing Jesus face to face worshiping him. Consider what's to come. But let's keep reading because that all sounds great, but there's actually another consideration that you need to consider when what is to come. If I say the word consider one more time, I'm going to lose my head. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You know, we often give too much credit to Satan. It's no doubt, no doubt, Satan's roaring around like a lion. He's prowling around looking for someone to devour. But sometimes we fall into the trap of, of handing off our our issues, the cause of our issues to something else. You know, it, it's easy to fall into temptation and just say, ah, Satan got me again. Oh, well, uh. Or we even go one step further and we start blaming God. We say, come on, God, you know I have a tough time with that. You didn't have to tempt me with that, God. You know that's a weak spot for me. And we just hand off the responsibility of our sin to someone else. But let me ask you this question. I think I've asked this before. What tempts you? And Think seriously about this. What tempts you? Is it sex? Is it money? Is it gluttony? Is it pride? Achievements? Recognition? Laziness? Is it McDonald's? Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's procrastination. Maybe it's the internet every day. 
You see, the devil is smart, he's cunning and crafty, and he knows a lot more about you than probably you even know about you. You see, the Lord, he cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I heard this past uh, week, uh, a few guys from the church went, uh, went up around Texada area and did some fishing. Uh, caught a couple fish, lost a couple fish. And you know, the thing about Satan is that he's a lot like a fisherman. So all you guys who are fishermen, you better be careful. You see, Satan, he wakes up early at sunrise. He puts his waders on. He gets into the river up to his hips, and, and he just expertly casts that lure right into the water. And what does he have on the end of that hook? He's got temptation. He's hung right on there, and, and you know, you're just walking around, imagine you're just a fish, just swimming around, going, living the life, whatever fish do, and all of a sudden there's your big juicy worm right in front of you. And you know only thing but bad things can come of it. I sometimes think those fish are smart, right? Sometimes they see that hook and they go, nah, no, nah, no, nah, you're not getting me today. So they swim away. But it's still there and, and Satan's kind of, you know, jigging it a bit, giving you, just trying to entice you a little bit. And so you come back and you go, okay, this looks pretty juicy. Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. You know, maybe Satan spiced it up a bit. He went to Canadian Tire and bought some power bait or whatever just to we'll make it smell good. And, and you come back, you go, okay, I'll just have a little nibble. Just a little nibble. And bam! He sets that hook and you are done for, hook, line, and sinker. And he reels you in. Verse 14 says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Friends, don't deceive yourselves this morning and think that you have no part to play in sin. You are lured and enticed by your own desires. And then verse 15 says, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So you're lured and enticed. Satan throws that hook out there and he tempts you with your desires and you snap down on it and he reels you in. And where does that sin lead to? It leads to death. Friends, consider what is to come when temptation is in front of you. There's an opportunity to have God to prove himself, yet there's also an opportunity to have that temptation take you down a path you do not want to go which involves eternal separation from God, the gnashing of teeth, the place where no man or woman can quench their thirst. And this is a bit of a negative approach, and it's kind of scary, and and it's supposed to be scary. You're supposed to consider that hell is real. This is what is to come. When faced with temptations, the mature Christian is aware of what is to come. Read with me verse 16 and 17. It should come up on the screen there. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. See, the second thing a mature Christian does when faced with temptations is they consider God's goodness. All good things come from God. Every good And perfect gift 
is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I don't, do I need to read that? Like, the more I read that, the more my brain explodes, even as I'm standing up here reading that. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Every good, he has no variation. There's no shadow in him due to change. See, God does not change, is what we read there. He doesn't change. He cannot get worse because he is the holy of holies. He cannot get better because he is already perfect beyond compare. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who was, who is, and who always will be. He casts no shadow due to variation. You see, the mature Christian considers the goodness of God when experiencing temptation. They turn their face towards the Father of lights from whom every good and perfect gift comes from. They recognize that the Father tempts no one. Rather, he is the author of every good and perfect gift. Let's look at the third consideration. That's one and two. The third consideration in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The third consideration, consider who you are. You are a first fruit of his creatures. Remember, remember who James is writing to here. Remember what we talked about at the beginning? Primarily Jewish Christians. So when Jewish Christians hear that they're a first fruit, that's pretty significant to them. To you and me, we're kind of like, okay, cool, yeah, first fruit. Pick that apple off the tree for the first time of the season. But to, to the people he's writing to here, this is super significant to hear that they are the first fruits of his creatures because the idea of first fruits would have a ton of significance. See, Old Testament Jews, they would bring their first fruits of the harvest to sacrifice, the best of the best. And by bringing the first fruit, they would, they would recognize that they're trusting in the Father that more would come. And now consider this idea that you are the first fruits of God's creatures. You sitting here and watching, you are the first fruits of God's creatures. You are the best of the best. Consider this, that, that by his own will, he brought you forth. You know, the mature Christian realizes that they are the first fruits. They understand the fact of who they are. They realize that they have the divine nature of Christ living in them. You see, you've been reborn, and you now have the, the Holy Spirit living inside of you this morning. To the Father of lights, you are the first fruits. Consider your value to the Lord. You are made in his image. The Gospel of Luke tells us that the Lord knows every single hair on your head. For some of us, that's easier than others, like me. The Father sent his own son to die for you. By the Father's will, he wasn't tricked, he wasn't bamboozled, there was no deceit going on. The Father made you, and he put a piece of himself inside of you, the Holy Spirit. Number one, we're to consider what is to come. Number two, we're to consider the goodness of God. And number three, you're to consider who you are when you're facing temptations. But let me throw one more in there. This is secret number 3A. It's not on the test at the end, so don't worry. Go back to the end of verse 12 with me. I don't think it's coming up on the screen, but look at the end of verse 12 with me. The last bit of verse 12, it says, which God has promised to those who love him. Let me ask you a question again. What tempts you? 
What is a temptation in your life? Just think of one temptation in your life. What's a passion in your life? You see, a passion for a sinful temptation can only be overcome by a greater passion. Though it may be painful to endure the temptation, it may be seemingly impossible. When you say no to temptation and you say yes to Jesus, you are showing your love for Jesus. When passionate temptations arise, the mature Christian overcomes it with their passion for Jesus. Friends, be passionate about Jesus' love for you. Be passionate in the ways of the Lord. Replace the passion for temptation with the passion for Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus loves you beyond what you can ever imagine. The Father sent his Son to die for you, and three days later, Jesus was raised again. As he hung on the cross, he was thinking of you as he willingly gave up his spirit. He redeemed you for his own. By his own will, he gave up his spirit. Not because he was forced to, not because he thought he had no other choice. He came to earth as a fully man, fully God, and hung on the cross for you. Jesus' love and passion for you is more than I can ever stand here and talk about. So let your love and passion for Christ overcome the temptation of your own desires. So consider these three things. Consider the judgment to come. Consider how good God has been to you and how he has promised to keep being good. Consider the divine nature living inside of you. And then 3a, use the passion of your love for Jesus Christ to overcome the passion for temptation. So let's look at verse 19 here. Verse 19, James takes a bit of a shift here and he begins to talk about hearing and doing the word. Having a right relationship to the word is crucially important in your walk to God. It's one thing for Satan to throw the lure out there and draw you in and yeah, he got you and that'll happen. But it's a whole nother thing for you to deceive yourself into thinking you're a spiritually mature person. Your relationship to the word is imperative in your relationship with God. The first thing that James talks about here in the final verses is our need to receive the word. And then second, he talks about our need to be doers of the word. So let's read here, verse 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. See, we all know the classic cliche. I won't get too into it. Yeah, we have two ears and one mouth. So start listening twice as much as you speak. Unless you're my buddy Darcy who has one ear and one mouth and he's got a free pass. He can talk as much as he wants to hear. (laughs) But it's true, right? The old cliche is true. It works. If you're going to be slow to anger then you're going to be slow to speak, and you'll be slow to speak, then you'll be quick to hear. But why? Why not get a little angry once in a while, right? Blow off some steam. Verse 20 says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In light of what we just read, in light of the understanding of what temptation brings, in light of the goodness of God, in light of the the knowledge of the divine nature you have inside of you, the idea that you are God's first fruits, your wrath does not produce the righteousness of God. 
But here's the thing about the anger of man. When I'm upset, I often think I'm producing the righteousness of God. This past weekend, um, I was up at a friend's cabin, and we go up there every year, and we play a ton of board games. So we were playing our annual game of Monopoly. And we're sitting on the deck, and life is good. The sun's out. Oh, it's so good. And friends, let me tell you something. I got wrecked in that game of Monopoly. It was not even close. And as I'm sitting there, oh, I'm just sitting in that seat. I'm clutching onto my $12 I have left. A couple properties on there. You know, when you're going around the board and you're desperately, you're, you're, it's your turn to roll the dice and you're just counting out the numbers. Please don't let it be a seven, a nine, or a 10. Please. And you roll the dice and what did I land on? Park Place with a hotel on it, $1,500, and I just knew that game was over for me. And I'm selling my properties, I'm clutching onto my $12, thinking there's got to be a way I can get out of this. I count up all the money I have, I realize I'm about $900 short. (laughs) So I throw my money into the pot, I give him all my money, and I'm out. And as I'm sitting there, I think, you know, maybe I should just flip this table. I mean, Jesus did it. Hey, Jesus did it. Why can't I? Jesus had a little bit of holy righteousness, anger. Why can't I do it? Maybe I'll just flip this table. What a, can't believe I lost so quickly. You know, or maybe I'll get upset about something in my head and I'll reason it. I'll reason it thinking, no, no, no. If Jesus was here, he would be upset too. If Jesus was here, he'd be on my side. He'd be angry too. But here's the thing about the anger of Blake is that 99% of the time, it does not produce the righteousness of God, unfortunately. In fact, I would say, when I'm slow to hear, and I'm quick to speak, and I'm quick to anger, 100% of the time, it does not produce the righteousness of God. In fact, it produces filthiness and rampant wickedness. Look at verse 21 with me. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Put away all filthiness and wickedness and receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. See, in contrast to the nature of temptation, in contrast to the nature of anger, in contrast to the nature of filthiness and rampant wickedness, put those things away and receive the implanted word. You see, there's, there's spiritual power in the word of God. When you've received the word of God, when the word of God is implanted in you, what is it able to do, friends? It is able to save souls. Is that not amazing? The word of God can save your soul. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel like the battery on your Jesus journey is just kind of bleh? It's kind of dead. You're just kind of drifting along. Let me ask you this question. How often do you read your Bible? How are you approaching the word of God? Is it with meekness? <laughs> I saw a hand up over there. Or is it the idea that, mm, you know, this word of God might not be fully true. It might be, most of it's true, but not all of it might not truly be the divine word of God. How often do you read your Bible and how are you approaching the word of God? 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says, All scripture is God-breathed 
and he's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. You see, here at CTK, um, specifically CTK, and a lot of, well, I'll just talk about CTK. We place huge importance, actually, huge importance on the, the need to read your Bible and the Word of God being the ultimate authority. You know, if, if you hang around here long enough, and if, the, if we're doing our job right, then eventually you'll get the question of, hey, where are you reading in your Bible? How, what, what's one good thing that you, that you read from your Bible this morning? And you can learn a lot about someone's relationship with God based on how they answer just that simple question. Where are you reading? And what's one good thing that you learned from, from your reading? And so the important thing here, if you're the kind of person that underlines your Bible, which I hope you are, if not, start underlining is the word receive. Underline the word receive. And that's where it all starts. Receive from God. It isn't by our act of working to receive salvation. Rather, it's our act of receiving. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And all you have to do is receive with meekness. But there's, there's something else we have to do when we receive the word, right? Receiving, great. Great first step. If you're not receiving the word, receive the word. Get in the word daily. Spend time reading your Bible. But there's something else we have to do once we receive the word. And that's the second thing that James talks to us about our spiritual reality in relationship to the word. So read with me. uh, Let's go verse 22 right to the end. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Friends, first you need to receive it and then you need to do it. The word of God is like a mirror. And what do you use a mirror for? Well, for probably all of us. Looks like all of us, yeah. When you woke up this morning, you looked in a mirror, right? And so a mirror shows things as they really are. A mirror doesn't lie as much as I wish it would some days. A mirror reflects back and, and shows you all the nasty things going on. Um, you know, speaking of being slow to anger, sometimes I look in a mirror and I get unrighteously angry. Is that just me? Yeah, I guess so. Read with me verse 23 again. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
Being simply a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man who looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets instantly what he was like. And the word of God is like God's mirror for you. But here's the thing about a mirror. You need to actually look at it for it to do anything. You can't just take a a quick glance and then walk away. You see, God's word needs to be more than just glanced at it. It needs to be implanted inside of you. God's word needs to be remembered and thought upon. You don't just read it and then walk away and forget all about it the rest of the day. God's word needs to be acted upon. When you look at something in the mirror and you see something that's wrong, something that needs to be changed, most of the time you do it. Unless you're super late for work, then you just run out the door. Look at the end of verse 25. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, the blessing comes in the doing, actually, not in the hearing. The information you receive, the information you observe, uh, the information you invest in and scrutinize, the information you meditate on and learn from is no good if you only use it as a hearer and not as a doer. At CTK, we want to be a people who, who hear first, we hear and receive. Hear and receive first. But we also want to be uh, people who look into the, the law of liberty. People who, who hear the word. You remember the five-fingered grasp we have on the word of God? Hear the word, read the word, study the word, memorize the word, and meditate on the word. And we want to be people that then do the word. A mature Christian looks into God's word to do something about it, not just simply to collect information and facts and have a massive binder full of notes at the end of your life. So let's keep going. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Again, the mature Christian doesn't deceive themselves. If you think you are religious and you can't bridle your tongue and you deceive your heart, friends, your religion is worthless. Those are strong words. If you are unable to bridle your tongue, then your religion is worthless. Psalms 21, 23 says, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Matthew 15, 11 says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Matthew 12, 33 to 37 says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. A mature Christian is a doer of the word and they bridle their tongue. And that is something we are super good at these days, isn't it? Bridling our tongue. (laughs) We live in a world of Facebook, of YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, a world of just instant gratification where I just open my mouth and just out comes words broadcast to millions of people on the internet. My mouth hole just opens and just blurts out whatever wants to come out of it. 
And there's just no repercussions, right? You know, back in James's day, they'd have to sit down. He'd have to buy some papyrus. He'd have to sit down and think about what he was going to say. And he'd have to, you know, maybe hire a scribe because papyrus is expensive and you've got to write t- super little to maximize the use. And there's no Canada Post or no Roman Post back in the day. So then he'd have to go find someone trustworthy to hire and walk 20 miles and deliver the letter. But, but now I, I think of some words I could tweet out a thing right now just on my phone while I'm standing up here. And friends, you would be shocked. Actually, you probably wouldn't be shocked because you all know what I'm talking about. Just some of the things you see on the internet from people who call themselves Christians. You're like, what are you doing? Be careful what comes out of your mouth. Be careful what comes out of your thumbs. If you can't bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. Let's keep going. Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let me ask you another question. Do you want to have a religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father? Yes, good answer. If you say no, I want to talk to you after. That'd be great. It's a bit of a silly question, right, to everyone in here. Of course you want to have pure and undefiled religion before God the Father. So what do you do? The mature Christian visits orphans and widows in their affliction. The mature Christian receives the word of God and they do the word of God. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Father and love your neighbor. Undefiled religion is to love people in their affliction, to have a soft heart towards vulnerable people in our society, to have the mind of Jesus and to put value on people and to get down and dirty and help them when they are in affliction. But you know what else pure and undefiled religion is? It's to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. James tells us to care for those around us, but also to care for what's inside of you. Know what your desires are and resist them. Don't fall into temptation. Be quick to hear and slow to anger. Receive the word and be a doer of the word Rattle your tongue. If you aren't careful, you will be conformed to this world and that will lead you to be condemned with this world. And so as we wrap up and and Barbara and Beth come back up to lead us in one more song, I just want to encourage you this morning. Encourage you in this. If you're feeling tempted, which I have a feeling you have been, or if you haven't been yet, you probably will be by the end of this day. Consider these three things. Consider the judgment that is to come. Consider the goodness of God and consider the divine nature that's inside of you. Have your passion for Christ overwhelm your passion for your own desires. And the other thing I want to encourage you this morning is to receive the word. Receive the word and have it implanted in your heart. Receive the power of the word which is able to save souls. And once you have received, then be a doer. True religion is not sitting on your hands, but looking into the perfect law of liberty and then acting. Friends, as the church, as the church of Christ, we're called to be contributors to this world, not consumers. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light on a hill. You have the spirit of God living inside of you. And it's a good thing to be here this morning. 
it's a good thing to be in fellowship with other believers. By you guys being here this morning, you're actually receiving the word and doing the word. You're doing it right now. And I commend you all for it. But as this morning ends, don't let your doing end here. Keep looking in the mirror. Keep showing the love of Christ to people around you. You see, you are God's saved people, not God's sheltered people. So go into this world and be doers of the word that you've received. I hope we ask you the question as this week goes on, how's your Bible reading going? Because that's crucially important to your spiritual maturity with Christ. Let's pray this morning to the Father of lights. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, Lord, implant your word into my heart this morning. Uh, I want to know more about you, God. Uh, We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from above the Father of lights. And we just praise your name this morning, Lord. And I just pray uh, for people out there, Lord, um, maybe they're hearers of the word, but they're not doers, Lord. Just help them act this week, Lord. Or maybe they've never been hearers of the word, Lord, and they're hearing it for the first time and they uh, just want to get to know you better, Lord. I just pray for them this morning that they would ask you into their heart, Lord. Jesus, you died for us. Uh, We were supposed to hang on that cross, Lord, and you took our place. Your blood was shed for me, and I thank you for that, Lord. So just bless the rest of our week, Lord, as we go into our our neighborhoods, Lord. Help us consider the three things you've given us to us, Lord, as as we experience temptations. Uh, We want to draw near to you, Lord. We want to be holy as you are holy. So just bless us this morning. Amen.